The wonders of daylight savings time. We lived uh, so long in Arizona. We, this was not a practice in Arizona. We refused to participate with the rest of you. And um, it has really been an adjustment for us. Uh, the first time we experienced it was going uh, the, when we went to Las Vegas. And uh, so we showed up for church um, an hour early, and we were upset that nobody told us that church had been canceled. You know, and the maintenance guy's walking around, you know, and so we caught him and said, how come nobody told us that church was canceled? He goes, it isn't. You're, you're an hour early. So, <laughs> so we had to uh, go get donuts, which is not a bad thing, I guess. And uh, so we want to remind you that's what's happening this next week. Hey, I was, uh, good morning online to all of those of you who are listening. There are a number of you because uh, we learned in advance some were going to be gone. Uh, some were not feeling well, those kinds of things. Thanks for giving us a heads up. We made adjustments in schedules for those who are serving. But uh, so I've seen you already online. Good morning to you. Glad you're here. And all those of you who are on campus today, we're so grateful that you're here. Um, getting older is really strange. And uh, those of you who are experiencing it along with me, uh, you wake up, and, you know, you've been fine, nothing is, uh, you know, nothing strange has happened that you can remember, and all of a sudden something doesn't work, you know, a foot, uh, a hand, uh, <laughs> and you're just like, what is going on? Um, so uh, I say that to say I'm going to put into practice uh, starting today. This is the last day of God Talks. It's been so great, hasn't it? God has done so many great things. And just a crescendo, uh, I think, for us uh, on what happened last week with the baptisms. Counting up, uh, since we've been here, I think I came up with 68 uh, that have been baptized. And just so grateful, man, to be a part of that and a part of those lives and watching people grow up in Christ. And so it's awesome. I want to institute something starting today that I hope we can carry forward. I talk about age because... I may forget next week. So what I would like you to do is as we put it into practice today, you remind me by putting it into practice next Sunday if I forget. Now once it gets into the DNA of us, we'll, we'll do it automatically. But this was something we did when we were in Phoenix uh, for a number of years uh, as a pastor when I took the helm, started out as youth and children's pastor, became associate pastor, then senior pastor for about 11 and a half years. We were there total about 23 years. And so with our congregation there, we instituted this, and it was really based on what we're going to talk about today, okay? So as I was preparing for this, I thought, this is where uh, we instituted this at, uh, at Christ Church in Phoenix, and I would really love to do it again, because it brings to bear the prominence of God's Word and how important it is. And what, what it is, simply, is to... Uh, stand when we read the opening text together as we read God's Word and uh, to encourage us of, of the importance, the reverence of God's Word, but to encourage us also to follow along in this text. And I want to say in advance, uh, for those of you online and those of you on campus, that we may prick your curiosity a little bit about uh, the book of Nehemiah. So we uh, seven years ago, there was a series that we did right here on the book of Nehemiah, and I posted that link uh, for the YouTube sermons on that uh, in my, on my Facebook, but you could also just go to our YouTube, uh, Grace Place Church, and you can find them all there by just you know, putting in Nehemiah in the search bar if you want. 
But this may prick your curiosity about the book of Nehemiah. You may want to know more. We're only going to look at a very small section of it, but an important piece. And it's out of Nehemiah chapter 8. So if you brought your Bibles, if you have your, your Bible on your phone or whatever, I, I want to encourage you to stand and we're going to, uh, you can follow along with me. We'll have a, the text up behind me uh, as we read through uh, the Bible this morning and we, we put God's word as paramount for you You're at home. Uh, stand in your living room or wherever you're at. <laughs> you may look weird if you're at work standing up, you know, while everybody else is, but uh, stand with us and let's, let's look at God's word together, all right? Nehemiah chapter 8, and we are uh, beginning there at verse 1 in Nehemiah chapter 8. All the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all uh, could, who could hear and with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. And when he read from it, in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday, before the men and women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra and the scribe stood on the platform of wood, which they had made for the purpose, and beside them at his right hand stood Matthiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah, and, and at his left, Padiah, Mishael, Micaiah, Hashem, Hashmandana. Now you may want to just pause here because Hashmandana, they're responsible, that family, for the bandanas that we wear. No, they're not. They're just. <laughs> Zechariah, Meshulam, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above the people. And when he opened it, here it is. All, let's say this together, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua, Banna, Shebera, Jemin, Akub, Shabbath, Thea, Hadijah, Messiah, Ketelai, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place, and so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God. And they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people and said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept and they, when they heard the words of the law. You might uh, just pause here. The reason that all of this is going on, it's so 
moving to them as they have been come out of captivity. They've been given permission and they were not allowed to worship. They were not allowed to gather together. And this is the first time as a congregation they've come together and to hear the word of God. And it breaks them as they hear it. It breaks them in so many ways, sometimes for the fact that they had been disobedient. And they're recognizing that as they are reading from the book of the law. But other times it is life and sustenance to them. And it's so fresh and they are in love with God's word. And so they're weeping uh, for that reason. For all the people wept and they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and to rejoice greatly because they understood the words and uh, that were declared to them. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. Lord, bless your word. Father, we ask that you would speak into our hearts the truths of what is here and the relevance to our moment in time. And we thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Let us be transformed by your word and transformed by the work that you do in us. And let us be obedient to you and cherish this word because it is the words of life. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You may want to go back and look at the book of Nehemiah, and you can along with us in that series I was referring to earlier. But chapter 6 of Nehemiah is dealing with the intimidation that they faced in going back, uh, recalling the story Nehemiah was... Uh, granted permission, uh, he was, uh, all of Israel was enslaved, and uh, he was granted permission. Uh, the king saw him in his court. He was the cupbearer. Um, if you don't know what a cupbearer is, he, you know, he would not only drink the drink, but tasted the food in advance of the king, so that the, the, if the king was being poisoned, uh, the cupbearer would die first. <laughs> Great job. Um, <laughs> And uh, there's always openings, so if you're a, <laughs> you'd like to apply, <laughs> regular openings in evil kingdoms. Um, but uh, at any rate, uh, this, this was his, his role, and he came into the presence of the king, which you're not supposed to ever come into the presence of the king downcast and, and sorrowful. And the king saw that, and it caught him in a, in a moment uh, when he recognized he was very sad. And he asked him what was going on, and he said, you know, my... Uh, the, our city has been broken down and its ruins and, and the walls have been torn down. And, uh, you know, how can I rejoice? And so the king says, hey, you know, um, I'm pleased with your work and, and what your people have been doing here. You know, why don't you go back and, and rebuild the temple? And, and so they were going back to rebuild the temple. But, of course, the first thing you have to do because you have enemies is you have to build the walls around the city. And so that was the initial work. You can't build the temple because they would just loot it and tear it down at night when you walked away. And so they had to have walls and they had to have guards and all this kind of thing. So in chapter 6, uh, he's dealing with a lot of intimidation because the enemies start coming up, mocking them for building the walls, <clears throat> trying to find weak spots. And he had to arm. It says in one instance, it says that the people were laying bricks with one hand and holding a, a, a sword with the other. <laughs> that would have been some kind of life, some kind of building program. Huh? You're, you're in construction, you're, you're putting you know, a, a 
you know, a breakdown, but you're kind of looking around to see who's coming, you know. And so then chapter 7 is about the wonderful record of Nehemiah's uh, organizational strategies and the gathering of all the people to do particular kinds of functions and jobs to, to bring all of this renewal and rebuilding about. And then, of course, chapter 8 where we're in is the place where people gathered to hear God's word as it was proclaimed by Ezra. And, and it's so moving every time I read through this to see what's going on because I have personal experience with this. I, I hear God's word read. It just it, it changes me. It transforms me. There's, uh, sometimes I forget how much I love the word of God and I'll go someplace and, and someone will stand up and just read passages from the scripture. And, and it just breaks me again. I'm like, I love God's word. There's a sense this morning uh, that, that of what we need to explain about what goes on here. And to answer this question, why is it that this church gives such a, a priority and preeminence to the public teaching of the Bible? Because after all, not everyone uh, has had this experience. Not everyone has been uh, grown up in, in places of, uh, and gone to worship services where there is such a, a priority given to a season of time just for the reading and the teaching of God's Word. And therefore, you know, I think a thinking person would, would ask the question, like, you know, uh, what is going on here? How come this is important? Is it really relevant? Is it, is, is it a, a biblical mandate, if you will? Um, or, or is this something other? Is this just some kind of tradition or habit? And, and uh, what, what's going on here? And, and, it, and that there has been given this kind of time to, for us each Sunday to read God's Word, to learn about it, to study and to grow, and to not only uh, understand the precepts of what is taught here, but also begin to put it into practice in our lives. And so some come from backgrounds, as I said before, who uh, this was not an emphasis where you were. It wasn't a, a priority. For some, it may, it may have been more uh, built around a, a liturgical kind of a setting where the, the, the liturgy of what, what happened in a, in a gathering consumed a large portion of the time of that gathering. And so then smaller segments of time were allowed for actually reading the Word of God and, and learning about the Word of God. I think it's interesting here as we, we look at this, this passage of, of Scripture that not only is Ezra up here reading and, you know, it's, it's from the morning until noon. This is a long sermon, okay? And, uh, but he's got helpers. You know, they're all up there and they're helping explain to the people. They're breaking it down where uh, the men and the women and the, and the children and the young people can really understand what's going on. And just like we do here when we have Sunday school and, and we have youth class and we have all of these things where they can take the Word of God and break it down so that everybody can understand it. Everyone can walk away. There were various levels of educated people in the group. Some were more educated and others not. And, and so for those who couldn't read or those who had less of an education, there were people who were breaking the Word of God down, helping them understand what it meant and what was going on. So what I, I hope you leave here with today, if you don't leave here with anything else, is, is that you understand that God's Word is absolutely foundational to your spiritual development. And that's why we, as a church, have this in our DNA, that we always gather to read God's Word and to break it down and help understand it better. And if you doubt that, that this is a, an important piece, then I, I would just encourage you to 
learn from the Bible itself. Go and find out if this is accurate, what I'm saying, and, and we encourage you to go to the Scriptures. We're not trying to, to hide or to be someone who lords over you and corrects things so that you can't understand them. We encourage you to pick the book up, read the book, and find out if what I'm saying is absolutely the truth. And we recognize that we have often many people who are visiting that are coming in and, and they have questions about how we do things and why this would be such a priority, that this would be given uh, what I'm doing right now, a big piece of the time in our, in our particular gathering. And it is a part of the DNA of the Grace Place Church. And so it's important for us to understand why. Now we recognize, of course, that in the minds of, of our secular world, that this seems like foolishness, that we would gather like this. We drove by, Michelle and I did this morning, um, Dell Diamond, and uh, we drove by a bunch of other places on the way to come here, and they loaded parking lots, you know, and, and uh, people have found other things to do, right? So in, in many people's minds, what we're doing right now is, is uh, at least unimportant to their life and unimportant to their day. And uh, they don't—they don't really—they—they uh, they don't equate it with being, you know, something of a high priority, because secular man has been taught that everything must be filtered through the lens of accepted cultural thinking, and so uh, learned people have—they believe—have put together culture over time, and and uh, it has evolved, and and things that are ancient and. Uh, not relevant to this hour, and you know, um, we, we're really poor with history. We are because um, everything that's happening in your and I's time has happened in every other time, right? They've renamed it. They call it something different, but it's just it's just it's just a big cyclical thing. Uh, in the children of Israel's uh, journey to the land of promise, which is representative for us today. You know, uh, God said, I have a promised land for you. So it's representative of us today for moving from, you know, a, a place of, of not knowing God, of being enslaved to our own sin, in their case, enslaved to Egypt, right? But going to a place of freedom, going to a place that God has prepared for us, going to a place of the Lordship of Jesus Christ over our life, a new kingdom that we're living in. That's what that whole uh, picture in the Old Testament of Israel's journey to the Promised Land is all about. So on their way, they kept winding up by this mountain called Sinai, and they kept circling it over and over again. If you want to take the I off the end, S-I-N-I, you know, you could, you could just say Mount Sin. They just kept circling Mount Sin over and over again, being challenged by God to go to the Promised Land. I've given you the Promised Land. And they came up with every excuse in the book not to go to the Promised Land. We have soccer games today, you know, uh, we're going <laughs> to, there's, there's things going on in our life, uh, we can't go to the promised land today. And God kept challenging them. So it's always been that man has looked to culture to develop his thinking about how he would look at spiritual things. And the Bible challenges us not to look at culture, but to look to God and to look to God's word and understand culture through that lens. We get a better understanding that way. Anyone who appears to be convinced to live out Christianity's uh, biblical mandates is often seen as a misguided zealot or a crazy person of some kind. 
And this has, uh, there, there's, over and over again throughout history, there have been events that reinforce this kind of thinking. And in the British Isles, I'll just tell you one of them, many, many years ago, there was a man by the name of Stanley Baldwin. He was a politician. And he was living in an era where there were some great orators, you know, and, and powerful leaders, unfortunately for him, because he was in politics. And uh, so Lord uh, Birkenhead was one of them. Lloyd George was one. Winston Churchill was another, which you recognize. Uh, Baldwin had a little bit of a problem because he was a, a poor orator. He was a, he was a poor speaker. And he couldn't speak like these guys could, you know, and he couldn't command attention like they could. And so what he decided to do was turn his, his weakness into a strength. And so what he did, and, and you'll recognize this because this is kind of common even in today's politics, he began to suggest that, uh, that you know, people, you know, I'm just a plain old orator. I'm a man of the people. And, uh, you know, I'm not, not sophisticated and, and uh, like, you know, uh, Lloyd George or Winston Churchill, Lord Birkenhead. You know, I, I, I am just a common person just like you. And, and uh, you know, and furthermore, he began to suggest that, we, that people ought to be suspicious, very suspicious of, of great orators like this who speak with conviction. When people speak with conviction, you know, uh, it's not really that they, they believe. They're just trying to control and exercise, you know, a, a control over people and get them to move in the direction that they want them to move. And so it caught on, and it, it was successful for him, and he was able to have uh, a successful career as a result of teaching people just that. And it left a legacy not only in that country, but it spread into the church, and it spread, I believe, worldwide. It's something that we often see today. It's an approach that many will take today that, you know, in, in our day, there's a, there's a loss of conviction regarding the authority of this book. And so when people come to uh, encounter authoritative preaching, you know, they, they, uh, given all the Baldwinism kind of beliefs behind it, they're suspicious and they doubt it. And they say, you know, um, that pastor is, is just trying to control people or he's just trying to, to persuade them to do what he wants them to do or, or he's just trying to make a living or whatever it might be that they want to put in the box right there uh, to, to justify for themselves and then also to help convert others into their thinking. They have come to believe that there's no real foundation or power in the book. They've already decided that on their own, so presumably the forcefulness is meant to compensate for an absence of dynamism that's in that book. And unfortunately, some preachers have perpetuated this ideal, aspiring to be heard and read more than God's book. And they preach so that others will say, what an amazing speaker, right? They write books and they preach so that many will say, what an amazing speaker. What a wonderful, motivational speaker that person is. But as pastors, what we are called to do and what we ought to do is preach so that they say, what an amazing God. And what a wonderful book. Amen? I grew up around a, a lot of, of pastors and preachers who you will never hear of and you will never uh, see their books or they didn't write any. And, but what great preaching. We would go away often from those experiences saying just this. What an amazing God. 
What a wonderful book. And it often sent me home in my teenage years to look further into the stories that they were telling us and read more. And, and, and because I was so amazed about what God said in his book. So what is the antidote for that? That's where we've come to this morning. What is the antidote for our world's rejection to the authority? God told, chose biblical preaching to save. And what is the antidote for us as a people? And we find it here in Nehemiah chapter 8. And it, it is, first of all, to refuse to respond to the spirit of entertainment and consumerism that pervades our day. And it, and it takes people from expecting to hear from God to expecting to go and hear from a man about a man, right? They, they've not gathered to set attentively. They, they, they haven't gathered to, to listen expectantly. Uh, they're sitting back passively. They examine a checklist to make sure that the things that are being talked about from the pulpit touch the things that they're interested in, right? Just like you'd attend a political rally and you're checking the guy out to see if you're going to vote for him. Is he t checking all the marks that I care about, you know? Does he, does he believe like I believe, right? And this is so different what's going on here. I love what uh, Bruce Thielman uh, said about preaching that's so true. He said, the pulpit calls those anointed to it as the sea calls the sailors. And like the sea, it batters and bruises and does not rest. To preach... To literally preach is to die naked a little at a time and to know each time that you do it that you're going to have to do it again. <laughs> what we have here in Nehemiah chapter 8 is a, is a classic illustration for us of the kind of proclamation that needs to be taking place with, the, with respect to the Word of God. And what, I, what I'd like you to notice really is four simple points, and we're going to touch on each of these. First of all, they gathered expectantly. They gathered expectantly. They listened attentively. They responded properly. And they departed joyfully. It's, an, it's a, a lesson in how we are to come to the table of God to hear the Word of God and what we should do. First of all, they gathered expectantly. In these opening verses, the people were gathering. It's interesting that twice it's repeated that the square before the water gate is where they gathered. They didn't gather inside a, a temple or a place to be hidden. And this was quite a group. It was quite a crowd representing probably 50 to 75,000 people. And they gathered together in public. This was a place where not only the Israelites would be, but this was a place where, where foreigners and different kinds of people who had never heard about the God of Israel were going to be passing by doing business, you know, uh, at the Watergate. There was going to be things going on here, and they were going to be hearing the Word of God read. They were going to be watching people worship God. They were going to be seeing what was happening. And these people gathered with a sense of expectation. We're coming together. God's going to do something here, and we're excited about it. We wouldn't want to make more of this than there is, but it's interesting to note that they arrived at a place uh, not, again, cloistered in the temple in any way, but they are out in the open among the people. They gathered also, in, in, as you see in Scripture, it says, as one man. They gathered as one man. You know, and this is not sexist, you know. Uh, this is just mankind, right? They just gathered as a unit 
and, and they gathered expecting, and they weren't pushing one another aside and trying to, like, I'm first because I make the most money and, you know, I bought a ticket early or whatever. They were gathered as one people, helping each other get in where they could hear and see what was going on. And they had no preconceived agendas except the expectancy of hearing from the Word of God today. We've come to hear from God. In other words, they came together, as we talk about it here uh, at the Grace Place, in spiritual unity. They gathered as one tribe. They gathered under one God. And they gathered with one mission in mind. Whatever God says, that's what we're going to do. The second thing that happens there is that they listened intently. So notice, first of all, the people gathered expectantly, and, and God gave Ezra the ability to, and the authority... You know, he was speaking as a man of authority. The people gave him the opportunity and the invitation to come, and they were ready to listen. And what did they do? They, they listened attentively. It says, on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women who were able to understand. And from early in the morning until the middle of the day, they listened attentively. They listened attentively. The object was to hear and better understand God's word. That's all they brought to the table. I didn't have, they didn't bring a checklist. This is, you know, I hope he talks about this. You know, I hope he looks, you know, my neighbor's been, you know, encroaching on my land. I hope he brings that up. You know. Someone was sitting in my favorite chair last Sunday. I hope he talks about that. You know. <laughs> they, they, they gathered together. You know, uh, to listen to the Word of God, they, their objective was to understand God's Word for their lives. And there was a sense of humility in that group, that instant weeping that we can, we can read about in that passage. Now, I'm guilty, as they're, they're hearing the, the law being read. I'm guilty and I'm ashamed. And, and as you go on through that Bible, they, they even begin to, to, that section of the Bible, they even begin to separate themselves. Some of them had had, uh, you know, ignored God's law, and they had married, uh, you know, people who, who didn't love God and care about God, and, and they had been seduced into some idolatry and those kinds of things. And they even began to put a standard between themselves and those people at that moment, separate themselves from, from what was drawing them away from God, even as they're hearing the Word of God. That brings us to they responded properly. They were told in verse 7, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. And there's something about coming to the Word of God attentively and reverently that opens our understanding to activating the Word of God in our lives. The psalmist said it in, in Psalms 138, verse 2, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. As the word of God was read in the community, they responded. They, they bowed in reverence, they lifted their hands, they wept, and they rejoiced. I wanted to, to bring something, you know, a moment for us here, for those of you who may have been watching online, for those of you who are present. You know, this, this past Sunday, we had a, a baptism. We were, we were baptizing people here. And there was, there was one instance where the, the Holy Spirit just really fell into that, that baptistry, you know. And, and uh, I, was, I was there 
with Elaine, and you could sense it, you could feel it, man. It was just, it was, it was powerful. And there were things that happened a moment before that I won't share that are, that are private conversation between her and I. Uh, and, uh, and, and then it was just a rush of, of the Holy Spirit just coming into the room. And, and you know, what I, why I wanted to bring that up is, you know, I, was, I didn't have a mic at that point. I was trying to call us to, to worship as a, as a congregation. You know, it's, it's easy for us to, to, to watch what happens. It's easy for us to, to become spectators, you know. Some Holy Spirit's moving over. That's cool. And, and, and I think those moments, I want to remind us that there are moments for us to say, He's here. He's not just here for Elaine and Pastor, but He's, he's here for me. He's here for me. And this is what was going on, you know, when they, they responded properly, that they raised their hands, they worshiped God, they wept. All of the things that happened as a result of, of the encounter with God's presence and the transformational uh, renewal that takes place at the reading of God's word and, and, and taking it into our hearts. David's saying, I, I, that your word, God, have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And all of that that's, that's, that's taking place uh, calls to us to respond to God. And so what I'd like to do right now is, is, while you're still just seated, can we just take a moment to respond to God? You're here, Lord. And wherever we have not recognized your presence, forgive us. God, you're here and we love you. We want to respond to you. Go ahead and just tell him. God, we care about you. We love you. We're so grateful that you're here. You're so faithful. You've never failed us, not one time. And Father, we want to be careful not just to watch the experience, but to be engaged in the experience of worship. We love you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I really want to encourage our congregation, you know, to respond to God. Lifting of hands, whatever you feel compelled to do to respond to God in love just to tell him how much you care about him and how much you love him. He loves you. The fourth part here is that this says they departed joyfully. They gathered expectantly. They listened attentively. They responded properly. And now they're going to go home joyfully. He says to them, Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went out their way to eat and to drink and to send portions uh, and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. Nehemiah comes along and says, Okay, guys, that's enough crying for now. Let's go. Let's get out of here. We have a mission, you know. It's outside these walls. We've repented. We've called on God. We've responded to His Word properly. Now let's go out with joy because His words are life for us. Let's go out and get something to eat and share with others. Some other friends in our day, we call these potlucks, right? I mean, it's like, you know, let's go. And we always do that right after service. We go find a place and wait in line 45 minutes for food. <laughs> Hope that we, you know, beat the Baptist and we're out like trying to get there. We know we're going to beat the Pentecostals because there is, you know, they won't be there till two or three o'clock. So 
There's nobody there when they go to lunch. <laughs> and this is um, a sacred day before the Lord. He says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Psalms 30 verse 5 says, weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I always felt like that. We should always be leaving church joyful. Yeah. You know, if we aren't, it's it, it sometimes a, it, the challenge is, did we respond to God's word? Did we, did we own it? Or, or did, did it just make us feel worse when we went out the door like, I'm, I can't change. I can't, I can't do what, what God's asking me to do. And so we were miserable. But we should, we should leave here because we've responded properly, joyfully. Big smiles on our face, hugging one another, rushing to share what we have, the goodness of, that God's blessed us with with one another. We came expectantly. We listened attentively, we responded, and we should be leaving joyfully. I invite our worship team to come up. How I want to close our God Talks this year is, uh, uh, this message really was so on my heart and the importance of, of the Word of God and elevating it where it belongs, rightfully in our own lives. And so it's not enough for us just to say, yes, I believe. This is the theme of, of the series has been saying yes to God. It's not enough for us to say, yes, I believe. In James, it says that it, it, he reminds us, James reminds us, that you believe in God. That's, that's not a negative thing. That's a good thing. But he said, I, I got news for you. The devil believes in God. Demons believe in God, right? So what separates us from devils and demons that we practice? God's word, right? That's what separates us. So he said, don't, don't just be believers, you know, be practicers. There's people that know, you know, to do better with their health, right? And it's good to know that. And that's a truth. But until we put it into practice, it really doesn't make any difference, right? And it's the same thing with us. Until we begin to put this into practice, it's not making any difference in our life. So it, we have to learn to practice God's Word. So what I'm going to ask you to do today, and the worship team is, uh, is coming, and we're, we'll sing together after we do this. But what I want to ask you to do is to stand, first of all, stand up. If you have your Bibles there, I'd like you to pick them up. Pick your Bible up. If you're using your phone, that's fine too. You can bring your phone with you. But third, I want to ask you to come forward. And if you don't have a Bible, I'm going to uh, ask one of our uh, helpers to pass these out. If people are here this morning, maybe you forgot yours or you just don't have one at all. I picked up some that could get here really quick. And uh, Jake's going to help us out. So Jake can pass these out. If you don't have one, um, just come forward and we will give you one, okay? Because we're going to have a commissioning time of, of just responding to God. We love your word. We care about your word. And we're going to make it a part of our daily practice to read your word, to study your word, to care about the things that you're talking about. So would you just come forward right now and we're going to pray together as, as a group when you get here. If you need a Bible, let Jake know. He will get you one, okay? Just to hold today so you can have and... You're welcome to take it home. These are... Amen, amen. I think 
there may be some over here. Anyone need a Bible? Just let Jake know there. Got... Those of you who are online watching, we want to encourage you. Grab your Bibles with us. Stand with us. We're going to pray together today. You put your hand on your Bible. Father, how we love your word. We believe you, God, but we want to also be practicing your word on a daily life. Lord, we want to come uh, attentively listening to your word, recognizing, Lord, the anointing upon those who are speaking to us and sharing your word. We want to read it for ourselves. We want to glean through the pages and understand what you're saying to us. We want to respond properly. We want to exit joyfully. God, we want to listen attentively to to all that you have to say. We're so grateful that you have provided your words to us. We recognize the sacrifice of the many down through history who have brought this book together and, and suffered so greatly for having done that. Lord, for merely putting it into a language that we can read and understand, their lives were forfeit. This book, above all books, Lord, has been preserved and protected, and we have it today, Lord, as, uh, as near perfected as possible, that you could bring the message to us, even where there were men and women involved in, in the processes, Lord, of, of interpreting this book from the original language. You still guided by the Holy Spirit, so that we would have what you want us to understand from you to us in this book. We thank you for it. We cherish and value it. I ask for a special anointing over every member of this congregation, those who are online, those who are here, to have clear understanding of your word as they open it and read it, that the Holy Spirit you promised us will bring it to life for us. And, and you will help us to exegete scripture appropriately. From cover to cover, we find the doctrines of the Bible, not just one verse selected out to fit what we wanna believe, but all verses pointing to what you teach us and want us to know. And we gather our doctrine that way. We understand, Lord, how much you love us and care about us. We understand that you provided your only son, Lord, as a sacrifice for us through your word. We understand that we can, uh, that, that, that propitiation of sin can be uh, atoned to us, each one of us, Lord, as we offer ourselves as an, an, a willing sacrifice to you. As we say, we want you to be Lord and leader of our lives and to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We understand all of this by understanding it from your book and what you have said to us. And we're asking, Lord, that you would just do a powerful work through this book in each of our hearts and lives. Let us cherish it more than we have in the past. Don't let it gather cobwebs on, on a shelf or, or on a table, but let us open it daily and let it speak life and love and encouragement into our hearts and lives. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus, in your name. Let's worship together in song.